Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Thinking Coach with David Petrozello. David, good to see you again, mate. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good, Jerome. It's good to be back once again for another, another chat. And it's been an interesting, interesting week. Lots happening all over the place. Happy to tuck into our, our content tonight. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about, um, I guess we're talking about selecting, you know, the processes for selecting players, selecting other coaches. That's the sort of area that we want to we wanna go into. Uh, it's always been an interesting area for me because it's always a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of an interesting thing when you've got to surround yourself with a, a coaching team if you're the head coach. And it doesn't always happen for a lot of grassroots coaches. Often you 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 don't get a choice of who's around you. Um, I guess there's two ways to look at it. If you do get the chance to, to, to pick what sort of, I guess from your point of view as someone who's probably been in the position where you can pick those that are around you, what are you looking for for, in this case, we'll start with coaches, uh, your assistant coaches, those that are around you. What are you looking for? What are you ex expecting from them in terms of what they can do and how they complement you as the head coach? Yeah, fantastic. You know, I, th I, I say all the time that as a head coach, um, which is what I have mainly been, uh, throughout my coaching career. Um, as a head coach, we only ever get as far as a group as what our assistant coaches will let us get. Um, and I've been fortunate that in most of the roles that I've had, I, I've been able to select um, assistant coaches and build a, a staff of support uh, around uh, me and around uh, the playing group of different sizes. Sometimes it was one assistant, sometimes it was five assistants and a strength coach and, you know, like everything that you could could imagine at higher levels. I've also had the experience where I've, I've been in situations where, you know, a committee or a board was selecting the entire coaching staff, uh, including the assistants with my input, but with them having the the final decision. So uh, I, I've kind of seen it all. I, I've, when I've coached at the grassroots level and, you know, volunteered with youth teams, you know, most of the time you don't have an assistant coach. It's just you. Um, or maybe you have someone who helps out, but doesn't really know necessarily uh, the sport. So I've kind of seen the, maybe not everywhere on the spectrum, but I have seen different yes. elements of, of that. I think, Fundamentally, no matter what situation it is, whether it's a selected coach or it's an inherited coach or it's any of the, you know, any other variation of that, the most important thing is the character of the person. What is their personality and what are, what are their, their values and principles? Um, and do they align? So, for example, if you as a coach have, um, you know, some core values about in your coaching philosophy when it comes to being a positive coach and trying to, um, <clears throat> you know, provide a positive environment, a supportive environment for your players. And you have a person whose instinct is to be, um, you know, is that more negative type of correction, uh, finding everything that the athlete is doing wrong, um, you know, 
before ever providing any sort of re constructive reinforcement. Um, that's unlikely to work uh, as, a, as a pairing. It's unlikely to work very well. And so when, as a head coach, if you find yourself in a situation where, let's say you inherit a coach uh, or a coach is placed upon your staff and they have a sort of approach that is like that, um, it really is going to be on you to um, maneuver that relationship and to try and understand how, to, how the two of you could work together. Um, but no matter where and no matter what level, the number one thing that we have to remember as, as coaches is that we are helping people and we are coaching people. So the, the, the people that are involved in that process have to be on the same page. You know, the, we definitely have to be on the same page. What are some of the, the things you're looking, if you're selecting your coaches, if you have the opportunity to do so, and I've only ever rare, rarely ever had this opportunity to do so. And I do say to clubs often, you know, when selecting coaches, you actually need to look at how they all interact with each other across a whole club approach rather than just one person. What are you looking for? What are you? What are the, the, the key skills, key criteria you're looking for from them coming in? You, you talked about not being needed, but what are some of those other areas you need, you're, you're looking to identify? You're, are you looking for, you know, often we say you're up, Obviously, we you're not. Are you looking for people who 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 I guess mesh entirely with you, or are you looking for people that might be necessarily perhaps more prepared to challenge the status quo? What's what are you you know looking for there? That's yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think it, it's going to vary according to what matters to you as as a coach as well as a head coach. Um, I think fundamentally what we are all trying to do is build ourselves the highest possible performance uh, coaching team as possible. So we need the functional skills, right? We need people that have the technical tactical knowledge, um, you know, the, the understanding of the game, the understanding of how to teach the game. They can provide value to the performance of the team uh, by being there and assuming that everyone who um, is on the list of people that are being considered meets those targets. Okay. Meets those requirements in, um, in a variety of ways. Maybe some, some coaches are, um, you know, uh, stronger in some areas of the game than in others. Uh, and so maybe you have a specific area that you're looking to, um, to get better in as a staff. Right. Um, but outside of that, right? Uh, outside of that, you, you need people that are going to be honest, uh, that are going to be um, loyal uh, as, as assistant coaches as well. And loyalty is a real tricky concept when it comes to coaching. Um, I've had some fantastic assistant coaches who have, um, you know, and I would say the vast majority of my assistant coaches have been phenomenal over my career, and I'm really indebted to them. Um, and I'm still close with many, uh, many of them. Um, you know, they've been, they were just great supporters of, of what we were trying to do together. Um, and so the loyalty that I talk about is not, not loyalty to me as the head coach, it's loyalty to the vision of what the team is trying to become. Mm -hmm. 
if a coach has loyalty to that, they are going to do things that are in support of that, in pursuit of that vision. If a coach is, uh, you know, thinking more individually or perhaps about themselves as an assistant coach, and I have had some coaches who have unfortunately not worked out in a positive way where um, they spent much of their time, um, you know, more focused on how to advance their interests than to advance the vision of the team, the purpose of the team uh, that we had agreed upon as a group. Um, you know, when that happens, it, it, it creates a, a, an imbalance within the group because our roles as head coaches involve making really hard decisions. Decisions of any nature are never going to be popular amongst everyone. Mm -hmm. And your assistant coaches, if they are true to the, you know, the, to the vision of the team, they've participated in that process and they had their input. And at the end of the day, they need to support that decision, whatever it might be. Um, and that's where the real rubber hits the road. It's in the conversations that are happening, the, the lifting a player up, um, you know, that's happening along the side of training, outside of training. It's all of these, these sort of aspects. That's really where, a team goes up or a team goes down. Um, and a great coaching team is united and together uh, when it comes to that. There's one voice um, in terms of one, one message that's being articulated to the players. There is a, a, a common understanding about what matters and why we're doing things. And there's the willingness to tell players um, you know, the athlete that um, not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And oftentimes uh, head coaches do that, but sometimes, you know, uh, or I, I should say head coaches do that, but oftentimes it's the assistant coaches who need to really uh, learn how to do that uh, because sometimes assistant coaches tend to want to be uh, closer, more friendly with the players they don't have to take these hard decisions. They, they make suggestions, not decisions, um, you know, and so forth. And so they, they can see perhaps a chance for them to not need to make um, a player uh, feel like their decision that the coach made is justified. Whereas it's more, you know, I would do something a little bit differently. And that's where it can start to undermine um, a, a team. So, the character, the values, the loyalty, the honesty, um, all super important. It, when you think about it, these are just human characteristics, right? Um, yes. the, the, the coaching aspect, Jerome, is honestly, at, at a certain stage, um, even at grassroots level, like it, somebody who, you can have anyone, just about anyone that meets the human characteristics, mm there's a way for them to help. There's a way for them to help. Yeah. Um, you know, and as a head coach, that's on us or on, on the head coach to, to determine how to help that person, put that person in the best possible position to be of assistance to the team. Um, but if, if you can't meet the human characteristics, it's really going to be a difficult situation for everybody. 
you, you talk there about a coaching team, a, a team, and 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 it is important, isn't it? Really, that um, that the coaching there is a coaching team there within the within the, the it, it's a team within itself. You know, they might be coaching a team, but they're actually a team within that. You know, so you know, it is important that clubs understand that, isn't it? Really, that you know that they got to make sure that. If they're deciding who's coaching, not not necessarily the coach coming in, that these these coaches actually do balance each other. They actually do work reasonably well with each other within the confines of being able to challenge and 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 offer different ideas. But they still need to be able to, you know, harmonise and work reasonably well together. Yes, hundred percent. The within a a pathway, what I what I tend to call a pathway environment where there is um, an identifiable pathway upon which an athlete can progress either age group level um, or even within the same age group where there are multiple levels, A's and B's and so forth. Um, but within a pathway program, the invariably we tend to, um, you know, the highest level team, whether that's the oldest team or the team that competes in the biggest competition, uh, which may not always be at the oldest age group. Um, you know, that the, 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 the coaches who are entrusted with that team um, tend to set the agenda, tend to set the tone for the entire pathway. And, and so the, you know, for example, the, the club that I'm involved with here now um, here in, in Vancouver, uh, you know, I have an older age group team and I am the head coach of the club, uh, so to speak. But every coach in the pathway is a member of the staff and have their own team to coach in their own way while still um, trying to move athletes along the pathway, both technically, tactically, culturally, et cetera. Um, and so we're all part of the same staff. Um, that would be a coaching uh, team within a program. And then of course you have your coaching team within your own team. Um, and so there are, I think multiple layers is what I'm trying to say. There, there are multiple layers there and it's critical that coaches can question each other have conversation and discussion. Um, technology makes it so easy today. Uh, I, I don't think it matters really what level you are at. You could be coaching a 13 and under uh, team of beginners um, in your sport. But if you have two coaches who are coaching that team for those 10, 11, 12 athletes or, or whatnot, um, it's easy to have a, a chat group or a space uh, where you can exchange ideas and, and reflect upon um, the training or reflect upon the team or it's, it's a good space, right? Where we don't need to be in the same room having a meeting um, like the professional coaches who can meet every day uh, because that is all they do. The, you know, for most coaches in the world, you know, we, we have multiple things that we do and coaching is one of them. Um, so we need to, to leverage technology to allow us to, to have the opportunity to talk to each other, 
to ask questions, to challenge ideas. Um, I know for myself, you know, my assistant coaches, um, I, I really, I really, really enjoy when, uh, you know, they're like, why, why are we doing it this way? You know, I know we, we discussed it, but now that I'm seeing it, I don't like it. Um, so, you know, what do we do? And, and typically we have a conversation about it. Right. And, um, but there's all of these things that happen inside the coach's room. And when the coach's room door is opened and the coaches leave that room, there is whatever the decision is, whatever the decision is, that's what needs to be articulated to, uh, to the team and reinforced by the team and supported by all the coaches on the staff. And that's where you can really uh, see a strong team where there is the ability to question, debate, challenge, argue, you know, over, over, over coffee or other beverages, uh, wherever it is that it might happen, you, you can have a real discussion. And then at some point there's a decision. No, we're going to play this play. Okay. After all this, this is what has to happen and we're going to do it. And, you know, and if someone has buy into that process because they've invested and they feel as if they've been listened to, and at the end of the day, typically it's the head coach, the head coach has to make a decision. And that's why we say assistant coaches make suggestions, head coaches make decisions. And um, a good head coach will listen to the suggestions of their assistant coaches, um, you know, and hear them out and reflect upon them and treat them with respect because they're likely to be really good ideas. Um, but at the end of the day, once there's a decision, the, the coaching team stands united. Uh, we're joined here talking about thinking coaching with David, who is joining us from Canada or possibly America, depending on depending on where he's which, which way the wind blows. <laughs> which way the wind blows and where his phone decides to have him at the moment. Uh, Kieran is joining us online. Uh, he's, he's just saying, hi, Dave, hope you're uh, well. Um, he asked a, he's asked another, he's asked a question here that I'll leave till the end of the show because it's not directly related to what we are talking about at the moment. So I'll sure. leave that to the end of the show. Um, one thing I do want to ask you about, and this is a very important thing, and I've had this experience, I've actually been through it, and this goes to, it doesn't go so much to selecting uh, around selecting your assistant coaches, it goes more to uh, selecting a head coach. Now, I had, unfortunately, I had a scenario where I walked into a club as the new head coach only to discover that the previous head coach was still in some capacity, even though they weren't there at the club anymore, was still having influence over the player group, was still in regular conversation with the player group, and as it turned out, was still meeting with the player group unbeknownst to me. Uh, and and making decisions with the player group about what was meant to be happening and counteracting what we were trying to achieve as a coaching group. Uh, I guess how, as a head coach, do you deal with scenarios where you've been chosen, you've now picked your assistants, but there's clearly someone or something undermining what you're trying to do? Um you know, yeah. You know, how, how do you deal with that? Do you deal with that as a whole group or do you have to remove the element? What's, what's the, how would you approach it? Yeah, I, I would say a couple things on that, 
Jerome. The first would be, I think it starts always with your ability to build a relationship with the people that you're trying to coach. Um, and that it takes, it takes time. It's not overnight. You know, we, we don't have the ability to just automatically demand attention and respect or adherence to what it is that we are, um, you know, wanting to do as a coach, because at the end of the day, we're not in the military and, uh, you know, they don't have to follow orders. They're not soldiers. Our job is to build a relationship with, with the athletes and hopefully demonstrate to them that a, we are genuine in our, um, in our approach, you know, we, we're a genuine, like we, we actually want to help them. We actually want them to succeed. Like we don't have any ulterior motives or anything like that. We're not trying to take away from previous coaches or we're not trying to, you know, anything like that. Um, so that we, we're genuine in what it is that we're doing. B, that we know what we're doing, uh, that we have understanding, you know, expertise. It's not our first rodeo, as we say. Um, and that, you know, we, we do have some experience, um, in the game that has prepared us to make good assessments and make good decisions. See that we, uh, dis, you know, despite what I've just said, that we are not locked in on decisions that we might've made, um, that were, uh, applicable to other situations without adapting them or reflecting on the situation at hand here, like they are not like every other player we've ever coached. We've never coached them and they need to be treated as an individual um, and so forth. Um, and I, I think like it, as we move our way through that process of building relationship, building buy-in, building connection, um, you know, the, the athletes are going to see typically that, you know what, this coach means well, he's trying hard. Um, you know, you get, you get through different situations with your team and they start to trust you. Um, the, the issue with a previous coach, uh, and I, I mean, we've all been the previous coach, right? Um, yeah, we have. So, you know, my, I, I was talking to, to a coach about this the other day, um, I gave them an, an example, like examples from my own sort of approach to this scenario where um, I, I say, look, like at the end of the day, as a coach, we are all connected to other coaches. You know, if we talk about the coaching profession, we talk about and whether or not it is paid back or paid forward to us in the moment, that shouldn't dictate how we act were we to be the former coach. In other words, what I'm trying to say is I'm going to do the right thing by the current coach um, in the hopes, which may not be realized that when I'm the current coach somewhere, the former coach at that place will do the same thing for me. Um, we know that's not always the case, but we don't only do, we have to do things because they're the right thing to do, period. Um, so what that means is, you know, I, I often, I'm always in communication with former players and they're still playing and they have coaches and so forth. And, you know, I, what I tend to do is, is focus the conversations on how I can help them in and how they're playing or mm. what they can add to their team. 
And uh, I'll never be a coach who undermines uh, a current coach. And I would agree with saying. you. I would agree with you. On yeah. That. Um, yeah. I always take the and, approach, that approach too. Yeah. 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 And I think it's important for coaches to hear that, that, you know, cause sometimes we can, we can get tricked into thinking that, well, this is how somebody treated me. So I'm going to complete the circle and, and pay that forward. Where in fact, you know what, we, we do what's right because it's right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we go from there and, you know, we, we remain genuine in what we do and, you know, the universe ends up taking care of us is my, is my belief. Um, in the situation that you described, once you, once you have built a connection with your relation, with your athletes and built relationships and you have a, a you know, there's something happening that's positive. I think, I think there's two, two elements to it. First of all, if you have a really strong connection with a leader on that team, perhaps, um, I think it's a, it's a conversation that you start with them, right? And you ask them about, um, about what the situation is like from their perspective, share with them what your, what your perspective is of the situation where, um, you know, you're, this is how you are feeling about, you know, maybe a former, a former coach intervening uh, in a negative way that's impacting you. Um, and, and see, see where that goes. Cause I think oftentimes, you know, again, if you have a, a strong trusting relationship with them, they'll share with um, that, you know, maybe it's not having as much of an impact on the players. Maybe they don't want to be rude to the former coach. Maybe like who knows. Right. Uh, but you can let them know that this is how it's being interpreted by you. Cause you know, that these things are happening. You know, that it's affecting the team in some way to your mind and um, have that discussion. And I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, if you are at a high enough performance level where there are, it's, it's affecting your ability to do your job. Um, then it, it is something that needs to involve, you know, whatever committee at the club is responsible for making these decisions. And if it becomes, as I said the other day, in one of our conversations, coaches are not meant to be martyrs. No, that's true. We, we don't have to put up with things that you wouldn't put up with in a normal situation. And if it becomes untenable, um, then, you know, maybe, maybe you need to walk away from that situation. Um, if it becomes too much for, for the situation to be handled by you, um, you know, in a way that maintains your self-respect, mental health, like you name it. Right. Well, in that, in that particular case, you, re- I, I referred there to you is that there were other problems going on. Uh, which were unforeseen at the time when I took when the job was taken. Uh, in the end, that was the course of action. The only course of action was to remove one's self from that scenario, which which I did. Um, and you are right. See, I've always held. You're right about as a former coach, and I've always been very careful whenever I've stepped away from a job. I've normally chosen to to really step away to try and distance myself for at least 12 months from any, not connection with the players, but any direct connection with the club. Uh, Often I would have players 
who I'd coached, like you, who would come to me and talk to me about what was going on with the new coach, and I'd just say, no, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not going to have those conversations. I'll talk to you about how your personal game is going, but I'm not going to talk to you about what that coach is doing because that's not fair to that coach. Um, I think that's what we've got to remember as, as the former coach, that you're right, how do we want to, when we're the situation of being the current coach, how do we want other former coaches to, how would we want to be treated in the same situation? So it's important to remember that. It's important. It is yep, that, 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 uh, that golden rule applies in pretty much every situation, right? Um, and if you treat other people the way that you would like to be treated in a similar situation, then it, it kind of puts a mirror back on your own actions. Um, and uh, I, I would say one thing about what, what you mentioned, I, I do encourage, not encourage, I, I, I don't shut down a conversation when, when players might start talking about coaching decisions or, or whatnot. Um, because like, I, I want them, from my perspective, what I'm thinking about is their success. I'm thinking about their success. I'm thinking about their, their staying power. And I want them to have a place where they can sometimes vent because we all like they vented to somebody about me. Right. Uh, so it better for them to vent uh, to me. True. Uh, that, you know, and then my comments then are my own. Right. Like the, what what it is that I end up responding or saying or the way that I try to carefully manage the words that I return with. Um, you know, then I can stay away from, from criticizing or from, you know, otherwise making it seem like this person doesn't know what they're doing and they'd be better off with me. Um, because that is kind of the, that, that's the temptation that we have as coaches. We, we always think we have the right answer, um, to whatever the situation might be and, and putting ourselves just remembering that every, all coaches are in the same shoes. Yeah. Right. We just wear them at different places and different sizes and colors. Uh, but we all are in the same shoes. We're all making a ton of difficult decisions. Um, decisions that we're, we're probably not really prepared to make, um, yeah. especially early. It might not seem like coaches that are at the 14 and under or 15 and under, or you name it, that these decisions are tough. These decisions are tough playing one athlete over another athlete, cutting an athlete, somebody making the team, somebody not making the team, starting somebody, not starting somebody, subbing somebody, not subbing somebody, calling a set, not calling a set. Like these all have real human impacts and they all have real competitive performance impacts. And it doesn't matter what level you're at because of the fact that every athlete who is participating in a sport at every level, recreational, performance, youth, adult, professional, amateur, you name it. Every single athlete shares the fact that they are all human. It makes the decisions tough and big and important. A, a young person's life can be changed, um, is changed when they make a team or don't make a team. A young person's life is changed when they start a game, 
and they gain the self-confidence from that uh, versus now they're taking out of the starting lineup and they, their self-confidence takes a hit, mm. you know, um, as a 16-year-old young person. Uh, so, like, I think good coaches recognize that there are these things that are at play and it makes us, you know, think twice, so to speak, but not in a, in a doubting way, but it makes us ensure that our, our decision-making process is sound. Before you make these types of decisions, go and do your work about it and then do what you think is right for the group. Um, but un we have to understand these decisions really matter. So I, I want my players, my, my former players to have a space where they can vent to me where it's safe, basically. Um, and they're not venting out in training or something else that might lead them into a tough situation. Cause what I care about is them. And, and then, you know, I'm a responsible uh, person. And so my, my feedback to them is always about trying to help them rather than trying to tear down somebody else. And that probably moves us into that second part of what we're talking about in this topic, which is selecting players, which is, which is always uh, a, a very, very fraught, very, very difficult, very, uh, it's a job that a coach has to do, whether it be a representative club, wherever it may be. It's, it's a job that a coach has to do. I've had to do it. I often refer to it as like being the executioner, unfortunately, at the start, particularly at the start of the season or the start of a process when you've got to do it. But it's something that has to be done. Um, how important is it? How important is it to make sure that you have a process in place, that you have an that process is understood by the players and everybody so that coming in they know exactly what's got to, what, you know, hoops is probably the wrong word for it, but what they've got to do in order to be selected. Yeah, it's everything. It's, it's absolutely everything. You have to know what it is that you're looking for, whether that's coaches, players, you name it. Um, you know, it's, it's think about as a coach, you are responsible for selecting the people who are going to participate and try to achieve something together. It is not like walking through the grocery store and just selecting the best orange. Okay. Because one orange doesn't have to work with the other orange to try and make some juice. Okay. As a grocery shopper, you are completely in control, completely in control. You pick, you pick the produce, you decide what to do with it. They're inanimate objects. It's not at all the same. What is the same though, is this element. You have to know what you're looking for. For example, when you select a player to, to be on your team, you got to know what you're looking for from a tactical, technical skill set perspective, from a mindset perspective, from a, a, you know, you name it. Okay. Uh, understand what it is that you're trying to build. Understand what it is that you need alongside you in order to build it. 
because again, as the coach, you're not out there playing, right? You need players that are going to be able to execute the vision, mm. uh, buy into it, that are going to be coachable, that are going to be uh, willing to participate and uh, to maybe change some of the things that they're doing. Again, th these are not inanimate objects. You're not moving pieces around a chessboard. So you, you need people with, with the uh, set of uh, personality traits and character skills um, that are going to be able to buy in uh, to what it is that you're, you're going to try and do. Um, however, if you don't know what the standard is, you'll never be able to pick effectively or recruit effectively for those coaches who are in uh, situations where their, their job involves recruiting. It's really important to understand what is the gold standard for what it is you're looking for? What's the best possible set of skills that you're trying to merge together to build yourself uh, a championship team? And this is where it's, it's just a little bit the same as going to shop for produce. When you pick up a fruit, what is the gold standard for that fruit? What, what are you looking for? you're going to like apples a little bit differently than I like apples. Mm. Maybe you're going to like apples that are a little tartar or a little sweeter or a little softer or a little harder and whatever the case may be. Okay. You have to know what kind of apple you're looking for. You have to know what kind of player you're looking for. Some coaches are going to want faster players, slower players, stronger players, you know, more slender players, quicker players, longer players, strong whatever the case may be, you know, uh, taller, shorter. You have to know what the gold standard is that you are looking for as a coach that is going to fit within your vision for the team that you are trying to build. Mm -hmm. If you don't know that, you're going to end up with a mishmash of, of players on your team, skill set wise, personality wise, and you are not going to be building something that is going to be united and sustainable. It's just not going to happen. You're going to end up with, something and uh, you're going to have to do way more work to try and make everything uh, fit together. Okay. Um, so understanding what you are looking for, write it down, give examples, Yeah. you know, connect it to a player, like a real third party uh, that is out there in the sporting world of your sport. Okay. Um, they, they do this like a, they do that like B, um, now typically these are going to be professional athletes. You're going to compare them to, and if you're not at the professional level, then you're not going to be finding someone who's going to shoot like Steph Curry or is going to be big, like, uh, like LeBron. Okay. So it's not, this is not what we're saying. However, you want to understand that you have a gold standard. And your, um, you know, it, it, it directs your attention, it directs your, your focus, and you have to understand how these things fit together in your group. If you don't, then you'll be figuring it out on the fly, and it'll, it'll completely undermine your efforts to have a plan. Because Jerome is going to do something that completely doesn't mix with what Dave does. Mm -hmm. And these are two pillars of the team. And now we've got problems because the team isn't working the way that it should be. So again, 
understand what the gold standard is, understand what that means for your level, how to make it relative to your level, age group or whatnot, articulate it to either our committee, the club, your coaching staff, give examples, walk people through it, explain to them why this is the type of athlete that we are looking for. This is how we fit them all together, how the style of play is connected to the skill sets, to the mindsets, okay, and so forth. And you can build yourself momentum and clarity so that when everybody is out, um, you know, on, on the field or on the court or in gyms or watching the pathway athletes at the under 12, and, you know, they can say, hey, that athlete is is an OKP, our kind of person, right? Because they fit. They fit athletically. They fit, you know, culturally and so forth. But if you don't have clarity, if you don't know what kind of apple, right, is the gold standard, it's going to be real tough. So that's the first place that I would start. We, we talk there about, uh, you know, different ways of selecting. And, and, and when I've been, uh, you know, selecting teams, often I, I try to put a panel of selectors around me, whether it be the fellow coaches, whether it be, you know, outside influences who've got experience. Sometime I'll, sometimes I, I feel the need to bring in an outsider who's got a lot of experience in, in the sport who can provide an outsider's viewpoint. One of the questions that always comes up, and, and it repeatedly comes up, why don't you allow a player on the panel? I guess it's an interesting question. Should a player be on the panel or not? Or is there a risk if you put a player from within that group on the panel that they then become a bit, they then get a conflict of interest developing? You know, in a yeah. yeah, absolutely, 100%. A great question. Okay. I, I would say in the same way as we don't just invite any old person uh, to participate, uh, not just anybody who has coached or is a coach, you invite particular people because they have X, Y, Z, right? Um. Same, same principle applies to the player. If you have a player who can participate in that and you are confident in their ability to participate equitably, fairly, honestly, judiciously, uh, responsibly, uh, then by all means, uh, they, should, they should have some participation. If you don't have a player like that, don't invite a player, mm. right? Uh, if, if you don't have a coach who has the experience or the expertise to participate helpfully, don't invite that coach. Um, so it, I, I kind of I equate it along those lines. Uh, I'll give you an example. In, in North American college uh, systems uh, where we recruit athletes, um, you know, invariably – current athletes at on the team are involved in the recruitment process. They spend time with recruits. They talk to them. They hang out with them when they come to visit a campus. 
Um, they play with them. They get to know them. They talk to them on their own. They, they text with them, et cetera. Like, and eventually, you know, there's, it's, you try and pair them, you try and match them with, you know, having responsible people and so forth uh, who are on your team to help you make informed decisions. What you are looking for is information. And the player will say, Hey, coach, not a good dude. You know, when you weren't around completely different, you know, this, that, the next. Um, okay, fine. Or coach, great, great guy. All right. Or great, great girl, you know, super nice, friendly, easy to get along with, you know, can really play. Hey, um, you know, if you, if you, you, you want to offer them, we're on board, right? That is uh, a tremendous help. And it should be no different if you're working in a club setting. Um, however, don't just invite any old player uh, into the decision room, just as you wouldn't invite any old coach into the decision room. It needs to be the right people because they are the right individuals for that task. It's interesting as we're talking about this because there's often it, it, it's an interesting process, and I've I've done both representative and I've done a club process where, the, the, from a club point of view as a coach, I was more responsible for it than anybody. And then I've done the representative side of it where I've had to deal with uh, fellow selectors or other selectors in the in the room who who want to have a say in 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 who gets in. And in some cases, they're parent selectors. You know, how tricky is it, you know, because you've, you've got this scenario, you've got some parent selectors. They, they tend to get enticed by the flash, not the substance. How, how, important, how tricky is it from the point of view of a coach? You know, I always felt I should let them obviously have their opinions and voice their opinions. But how tricky is that, you know, from a coaching point of view, when you're trying to select a team and you've got selectors that perhaps tend to, you know, there might be parent selectors that perhaps tend to, the subs, the, the flash catches their eye and they see that and they think, oh, it must be good enough to put in when in reality perhaps that player is. How yeah. Do, yeah, yeah. How do you... Yeah. How do you overcome it from a point of view of selection? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. And I think that's a scenario that happens like all the time. Um, I, I think what it starts, it, it's, it's gotta be a two pronged approach. The first is you really have to know what the gold standard is that you're looking for. And you have to explain that. And you have to have a process by which everybody who participates understands that this is how these decisions are going to be made. And that's where you do your work early as a coach. Either that's yourself, if you are in a position where you have some creative control, so to speak, uh, you create a process where I think it's, it's smart and it's good and it's right and it's just to have an inclusive process where people have input. Um, and, you know, they can go through that, share their opinions, talk about it, um, and at the end of the day, you come out the other end and there's a, a decision being made by presumably you and perhaps a smaller group of selectors where there's a, a larger group and then a, a, a tighter group. Um, so that process really matters. It really matters. 
Um, and at the end of the day, a coach has to stand on their two feet as well, right? Make a stand and say, you know, uh, assuming that they have this creative control, that they have the ability uh, where they are the final decision, um, say, you know, I respect what everybody is saying, uh, but this is what uh, this is what we're going to do. Um, and for these reasons, and I'm going to ask everybody to get behind to get behind me on this uh, and support the decision. And, you know, you're, you're putting by doing it like that. Um, you are open to being convinced, right? Like you're, you're ready to hear what, what the other people have to say. If you are convinced, then be convinced. Um, and if, but if you are not convinced, then be convinced of your own conviction uh, and uh, be, be prepared to, to stand for it. I'll give you an example. What feels like many years ago when 10 years ago, I, I was coaching a provincial team and our selection process was, um, you know, for our province, uh, our state team, right, um, was a little convoluted. Like it involved multiple people. It involved the the provincial association. It involved, you know, the technical director of the association. It involved my coaching staff. It involved like there was a variety of people in the room, and. Um, you know, ultimately, it, it, it was a lot like, like, I make recommendations, they make decisions. Okay. Uh, and typically, the recommendations that the coaches made, and this was for all the teams and all the coaches is just how things were done. Um, not anymore, though. Uh, but I make my recommendations. And, and, and I said very strongly, uh, in some cases, I believe this player needs to be one of our alternates, for example. Um, I believe this player uh, should not be on the team. I, you know, whatever, because I knew what I was looking for, not only for that team, but also for what I thought that player could progress towards. And um, I had to fight for that. And I just had to stand there and say, I, this is, this is really what I think. And I'm coaching this team. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I demanded that basically attention be paid to what myself and the coaching staff that were actually going to coach the team, what we thought. And, you know, we had three post-second provincial team. Um, and, you know, we, we had some, we had some opinions and you know what, in, at the end of the day, one of the alternates, that alternate in particular, who had not really shown much, but I had seen, I had seen glimpses. They ended up being called up because of a knee injury and they ended up starting for us at the national championship and they ended up having a great career and they played in university for five years. And like, you know, now that's what happened that time. It might not, might've gone another way, of course, but um, I think we've all been in these situations where if we believe what we believe, then be convicted of your own conviction. And, um, you know, be prepared to make a stand. But the same thing goes for us. What we expect our assistant coaches and our club and our club committees to do when we make decisions is to get behind our decision. If as a coach, you participate in a process where you are not the final decision maker. But you're in a, a situation where you have genuine input and you feel as if you're respected and listened to, 
get behind the decision, mm. whatever, whether you like it or you don't. If you're in a situation where you are not listened to, where you don't feel respected and involved in the process, you may want to reconsider being a part of that situation. It is, it is a tricky thing. Selecting has always, I've always found it to be a tricky balancing act between, you know, having people in the room or not. Um, one of the things I, I, I do want to ask you before we wrap it up, how important is it to make sure that people in that room when the selection's being made can be candid and know in them with the, and know that that's not well, when they are candid, that's not going to leak. How important is that? You know, I've done, I've had scenarios where I've had to ask everyone in the room to sign confidentiality agreements in order to keep, you know, to avoid the scenario. How important is it to make sure that the, a, the people in the room can keep confidences and also that everybody in the room is confident enough to speak their mind at selection. Yeah, you know what? It's it's much the same as in 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 uh, any other scenario. It comes down to the people. Um, basically, if you have people that are trustworthy, honest, and of good character, no matter what you do, you're more likely to be successful. So in this situation, um, maintaining confidentiality uh, is is critical because uh, as a coaching team, um, you know, you're constantly talking about players and, and um, you know, talking about the team, talking about decisions, talking about, you know, all of these decisions that you have to make. And let's be honest, like not everything is, is sunny, rosy champagne and, and, and daffodils. Sure. Okay. Um, which means that invariably you're going to say some things that um, other people might take offense at, uh, whether you were, you're not trying to be offensive, but you're being honest about their game or about their behavior, holding them accountable. Um, one of the things that I, that I challenge coaches all the time on is if you are going to say something about a player in selection, or let's say they're already on your team in a review meeting with coaches. Um, every word that you say, you should be able to say to, to that person. Um, and, and I, in fact, I, I, I encourage coaches to say every single word uh, that they say in a review meeting or in a selection. And so my, my tryouts, my selection periods are really long because I, you know, when I was younger, now my contexts are a little different. And so I don't, I'm not faced with these same scenarios anymore. But when I was younger and coaching different types of teams, I would sit one-on-one -on -one with each athlete that I did not select. And I would tell them very specifically, this is why you were not selected. Skills, size, you name it. Um, and uh, whatever it is that we discussed, I would, I would share that with the athlete and the app, because the athlete deserves that, that honesty. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, we, we should be able, same thing with a review meeting during our seasons, when you are evaluating players 
first of all, they, they should already know what they're being evaluated on. If you are evaluating them on metrics that make no sense to them that they've never heard about, you're doing something wrong um, as a coach. But you need to be able to trust the people that you are communicating with um, in the room. There needs to be uh, everything kept in confidence so that when you communicate to the player as the head coach, it is your voice that they are hearing the message in, right? When you have to let a player go or, you know, cut them from a team or remove them from the program, oftentimes, for example, at, in college, I mean, you're, you're cutting somebody's education mm. uh, in, in many regards. This is a, a life-altering um, event. So I think it, it's, it's incumbent on us as coaches that – if we get to the point of needing to make that decision for whatever reason, um, it has to be a good one, uh, of course, uh, but that we are, we explain it. We don't make it about us. Oh, this is so hard for me. That's making it about you. It's, it's, it's not, it's not about us. It's not about how hard it is for us to make the decision. It's about what happens next for that athlete and what information they can take out of that conversation. Um, to hopefully feel like you're still going to help them if they want that help and, um, and how they can improve and improve their chances somewhere else uh, or whatnot. Um, but all of these things should be shared with an athlete word for word, you know, thereabout. Um, but it cannot be from a situation where they hear it from a third party, from an assistant coach or from a parent or from a, it has to be your voice because ultimately it's your decision right? It's your face. It's your name um, as a head coach. And it, it makes it important that it's, it's your words and your voice that articulates the message the way that you want it to be articulated. Well, David, once again, thank you for being uh, a part of the show. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for doing the Thinking Coach again this week. We've been talking about selection, both of coaches and players, um, a very important topic. So thank you again for being a part of this. Um, and, and, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, no worries. Thanks a lot, Jerome. Looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next week.